All right, so different. I got to start off by saying, um, whenever I was a math teacher in my math classroom, I would often end the lesson and I would ask the kids how it went. And um, if everyone thought it was a breeze, my response would be, oh man, we didn't learn anything today. Now, don't get me wrong, it, like easy lessons are nice on occasion, um, but I knew that if it was easy, then the kids didn't grow. Um, to get them to grow, they, they needed to be pushed right to the edge of their ability and then given a little nudge because that's how the students grew. And so I want us, when things get difficult or uncomfortable, I want us to sit with that, not to avoid it. I want us to work through the discomfort, not rush it. Um, I think it's easy when things get uncomfortable for us to start thinking, who needs to hear this message? Um, or who is the speaker talking about? Um, and I'll just go ahead and let you guys know right now. I'm talking about me, and I'm talking about you. And I need to hear it, and you need to hear it. We need to experience that discomfort. Um, today marks the beginning of a new series. We're going to be looking at um, the, the book of 1 Peter in the Bible. And um, we're going we're gonna to be delving into the experience that this early church was having that received this letter and understanding God's calling. Um, God has called us as followers of Jesus to stand apart from the world, to be different, to have different values, different attitudes, different beliefs. Um, we're going to be covering four weeks, and we're going to be talking on those four weeks um, that we're to have different values in an unholy culture. Uh, we have different calling in a dark world. We're, have, we're supposed to have different perspective when it comes to persecution. Um, and then this week, we're going to talk about um, different trials, or sorry, different faith in trials. What does that look like, different faith in trials? And so the little tag today that I want us to understand is his life in us sustains us through our trials and it gives purpose to our pain. His life gives purpose to our pain. All right, so let's talk about the context. First Peter was written by Peter and it was his first letter. That's why it's called First Peter. Um, Peter, I think sometimes gets underestimated he was an uneducated, simple fisherman. But we find in these letters that he's writing that that's not the case, that he was a bold leader and that he was not afraid to talk about difficult topics. He covers things like um, foreknowledge, divine election, sanctification, obedience, the blood of Christ, the Trinity. He talks about revelation and what that means in our life. And he's writing this letter to a very interesting group of believers. It was a suffering church, and he meant to draw out two main themes. The first one is the hope that these believers have in Christ, and the second is a calling to be different than the world that they live in. All right, so what do we know about this church? Peter wrote this letter during the reign of Emperor Nero. And we know that the, the Christians were persecuted before Emperor Nero, but it was under his reign that the, the persecution of the church really ramped up. He was an evil guy. He killed his mom. He killed two of his wives. He really liked to party. Um, he was uh, responsible for burning Rome. 
And when he burned Rome, he blamed it on this small group of already hated people known as Christians. And so then the persecution of the Christians really ramped up. Under his direction, um, things would happen like Christians, when they were, when they were found out, they would have uh, animal skins wrapped around them and they would be thrown to wild dogs for the entertainment of the government. Or um, Nero specifically, he would, when he found Christians, he would dip them in wax and then use them as candles to light his parties. We're talking about horrible, horrible persecution. So that's the horrific context in which Peter writes this letter. We're going to do things a little bit differently today. I'm going to read this letter over you guys, the beginning of it. So I want us to all stand up. Can you guys stand up for me? And I want you to receive this letter as if Peter were writing it to you. I'm going to read it out loud. You can follow along on the screen. We read, this letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the province of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, and Northwest Arkansas. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. And though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this letter that Peter wrote to this young church, this young persecuted church, and I pray that you speak to us today and teach us about what it looks like to be different. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. So who's this letter for? What group was the intended audience? And I think there were two. The first group includes those who are currently experiencing hardship. Whether it's financial difficulty, whether it's health issues, strained relationships, um, addiction, any other type of suffering, this letter is for you. And the second group is those who have that coming right around the corner. We live in a broken world and suffering happens. It's just something that's gonna happen in life. 
And so hopefully today, this message is going to provide guidance and comfort for those who are hurting right now and prepare all of us for the trials that we face in the future because his life in us sustains us through our trials and it gives us purpose to our pain. So we see right off the bat, um, Peter talks about who this is addressed to, God's chosen people who are living as foreigners. The Greek word there that we translate as foreigners, it's a little bit more complex. It can, it can mean a lot of different things, but specifically like exiles, sojourners, aliens, strangers. This is a title given to somebody whose home is somewhere else, but is living here right now. Do you guys get that picture? He's talking to a group of people who are temporarily passing through this world. We have a heavenly citizenship and we're heavenly beings and we um, owe our commitment and our service to a heavenly God and that one day we'll be with him in that eternal dwelling. But right now we're living here, temporary dwelling on earth. It reminds me of a video, um, the Bible Project has a video about the difference in heaven and earth and how there was a split in, in the garden and how when Jesus came, it seemed like he brought back with him little pockets of heaven that he left around and that we're called to. We're called to be different. Um, for those of, of us that are followers of Christ, what does it mean? It means that we're going to have different values than those around us, that we're going to have different morals than other people, that we're going to have um, different belief systems. You're going to be a different mom. You're going to be a different dad. You're going to be a different husband. You're going to be a different wife. You're going to be a different son. Uh, you're going to be a different daughter. It's going to be different the way that you relate to people. It's going to be different the way that you invest your money. It's going to be different how you react when other people mistreat you or persecute you. You're going to be different. Why? Because this world's not our home. We're just foreigners. Our citizenship is somewhere else. We're called to be different. So it's important to remember the context that Peter's writing to, right? He's, he's writing to this church that's under persecution. Um, the exiles here mean that they were persecuted so heavily in Rome that they, flee, they were kicked out of Rome and they fled to the surrounding areas. And he tells them in verse six and seven, to be truly glad. What a weird way to start a letter to a bunch of people who are being persecuted. I mean, this is being read by people whose brother was crucified just last week and left to hang until his body rotted, right? That's the audience that's reading this letter. And he says to be truly glad because there is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. It says they will reveal the genuineness of your faith. Now, this brings up an interesting point. If there is such thing as genuine faith, then that means there has to be something that's the opposite of that, disingenuous faith or false faith. And I think that's especially important for us to talk about. There are other places in the world where you can't afford to have a disingenuous faith, but we live in the Bible Belt of America, right, where it's almost assumed. But I think it's a, a somber thought to think that maybe I am here today with a false faith. Jesus told a parable. 
this parable is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he talks about a farmer goes out to sow seeds. And he throws the seed on four types of soil. And the seed represents the gospel or the good news. And the soil represents the heart of the person hearing. And the first and the last one are easy to understand. There's the hard heart that the seed just never takes root. And then there's the good soil where the seed takes root and produces a harvest. It's the two in the middle that are difficult. It says that he throws some seed and it lands on rocky soil and some seed lands on soil that has weeds. And when the sun comes up, the seeds in the rocky soil are scorched and die. And then when the weeds grow up, they choke the life out of the seeds that fall among the weeds. And we're told that that rocky soil represents somebody with a shallow faith. And when the trials and tribulations and persecution happens, then that faith doesn't endure. And the weeds represent the cares of this world, the desire for other things, the desire not to be inconvenienced, the desire to fit in, and that chokes the life out. Now, this shallow faith, I think it kind of comes in two flavors. One flavor is an inherited faith. My parents were Christian. We went to church sometimes, you know, but every Easter and Christmas. And uh, I'm not Buddhist. I'm not Muslim. So I must be Christian. Like uh, an inherited faith. And the other is just a a faith that's like, um, they told me so. Right? Why do you believe that? Well, my pastor told me so. Uh, why do you do those things? Because that's how we've always done it. That's a shallow faith. So how, how can we grow deeper roots? I think that would be the question. And I think one way to grow those deeper roots is, is through community, right? Being in community with other believers so that you can uh, study God's word together, so that you can pray for each other, that you can care about what's happening in that other person's life. And we grow deeper. That's why we say, it's, it, you need to join a city group. You need to join the men's group or the women's group. That's where church happens. Sunday morning is an awesome party, Jesus party, but we grow deep roots when we're in fellowship with each other. And I know I'm not, I'm not throwing shade to those of us who are through joining online, but our faith is not built on uh, YouTube videos and podcasts. That's not. Our knowledge is, but not our faith. Our faith requires being in a group. And you might say, well, Nathan, none of the groups uh, really fit. Well, maybe it's time for you to start a group. It doesn't have to be organized. It doesn't have to be complicated. It could be just getting together for coffee. The Bible tells us where two or three are gathered. So that's just you and one other person. Maybe you get together and go hiking with a group or, or play golf, but we have to be in community together. We have to grow deeper roots. And then the, other, the, the one that falls among weeds, that's like, um, that's like uh, somebody who doesn't want to be inconvenienced, right? I'm a Christian as long as it doesn't conflict with my plans. Or I'm a Christian as long as I don't have to speak up about it at work, that's uncomfortable. It's a convenient faith, but it's false. I believe that God's brought us, some of us here today, to grow our false faith into a genuine faith. And if you're going through a difficult time, you might feel like uh, your faith is being tested. Um, But 
trials can reveal how deep your faith actually is. Um, it can show you that your faith is genuine. Um, a, a tested faith is a faith that you can trust, that you can rely on. We have this interesting story about Peter. Uh, in Luke chapter 22, Jesus told Peter that Satan had asked Jesus for permission to sift Peter as wheat. That's rough. I don't know about you guys. I don't want to be sifted by the devil. And um, it doesn't say Jesus said no. <laughs> it says Jesus said, I'll pray that Peter's faith would not fail. And then when he would come back, he would strengthen his brothers. That's what it means to live in community, to be able to strengthen each other and to grow each other's roots. Trial reveals your faith. And when you've turned back, you can strengthen others. Because his life in us sustains us through trials and it gives purpose to our pain. God used uh, Peter's trials to transform him. He was pretty obnoxious. Uh, he would fly off the, off the rails pretty easily. He was inconsistent. Um, but those trials turned him into a, a bold, tenacious man full of faith. Peter denied Jesus three times. I don't know if you guys have read that story. Denied that he ever knew him. One of those times was in front of a little girl, a little child. Hey, man, you know, you, do you know Jesus? No, I don't know Jesus. Get out of here. But when Peter came back, we have this interesting story or interaction in the Gospel of John where Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? He gives him an opportunity to say, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And then he gives Peter his calling, feed my sheep. And then Peter is the guest speaker on the day of Pentecost. And when he shares the gospel and the spirit is poured out, we see 3,000 people come to salvation in that single day. Trials can reveal and strengthen your faith. In James 1-2, Jesus' little brother James says that we should consider it pure joy whenever we face trials of many kinds because the testing of our faith produces perseverance. Paul says the same thing in Romans chapter, chapter 5, verses 3-5. through five. And these guys, Peter, James, Paul, they're speaking from experience. They know what it looks like to live through trials. In fact, within a very short time after writing this letter, Peter is crucified in Rome. A very short time after this letter is written, Paul is beheaded. Very short time after this letter is written, James is murdered by a mob in Jerusalem. These guys know what persecution is, and they say, count it as joy. Therefore, if you're in a trial... You should count it all as joy because God is working in the trial and he's working for you and he loves you and that doesn't change and he's good. Trials reveal the genuineness of, of your faith. His life in us sustains us through those trials and it gives purpose to our pain. The second point I wanna make is that trials have the, the potential to bring us closer to God. We see in verses um, Verses eight and nine explains this vivid language. Peter highlights that even though we've never seen God, we love him. And even though we don't see him right now, we trust him and we experience an inexplicable joy. Why is it inexplicable? Because it's not earthly. It's not a happiness because happiness is based on what's happening 
and you're in the middle of a trial, but you get this heavenly joy, this joy that settles your soul, that calms your mind, gives you peace beyond human comprehension. That's why it's inexpressible. It doesn't make sense. The reward for trusting in God is the salvation of our souls. That's the gospel. That's the good news. I feel like oftentimes we're kind of told that the gospel is that Jesus is going to save you from your trials. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus traded your death for his life so that his life in you can sustain you through those trials and that now your pain, which was purposeless, has purpose. It's important to to remember that God never promised to deliver us from our troubles. In fact, Jesus promised the opposite. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And you might say, well, Nathan, uh, it says God will never give us more than we can handle. That's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. In fact, I think oftentimes he gives us more than we can handle, so we have to lean into him, so that we have to rely on his strength in our weakness. This dependence on God brings us closer to him and allows us to experience a glorious, inexpressible joy, even in the midst of trial. I got a story to tell you guys. I want to emphasize that our faith is not based on what we see. It's based on who God is. So we hold on to this this supernatural faith. This week, um, I took my family camping. And... um, a lot of work went into getting ready for Easter, and so we thought, we're just going to take a long camping trip. So we left Sunday. Um, Maisie and Brock, my two oldest, they're just now learning how to, like, start fires and tend fires, and they think it's the coolest thing ever. So as soon as we get there, when are we making the fire? Some of the days, is like, 75, 80 degrees in the afternoon. They're like, hey, can we make a fire? Because it's so interesting. And this fire that they build, we notice, completely destroys everything that's put in it right? The wood that we build it with, burned to ash. Any, any um, trash that's thrown in the fire disappears. It's kind of magical, but it is ultimate destruction. You'll never be able to get those things back. Um, my kids say they like to make sport, s'mores, but I'm convinced they really just like to burn marshmallows. And so they spent most of the trip burning marshmallows just completely to ash. But they noticed when they left that poker in the fire, the poker didn't burn up. In fact, when they pulled it out, it was glowing red hot. We'd have to jump up and snatch it out of their hands before they burned somebody. It wasn't destroyed. Do you guys know how gold is purified and tested? It's with fire. When you hold fire, that's destructive, right? It's ultimately destructive. When you hold it to the gold, the gold begins to glow. And after it's glowed for a little while, it melts. And you think, well, then it's done. I've lost all the gold. But in that moment when it melts, the impurities begin to rise to the surface. And, and when the impurities rise to the surface, then the the refiner is able to skim those impurities off the top. And as he scoops all that dirt and impurity off the top, the gold becomes more and more pure. 
Bad things are going to happen in life. It's a guarantee. And if you're not in the middle of a trial right now, there's one right around the corner. And if you don't have the hope of Christ, I promise you those trials bring destruction. That heat and fire is going to burn your life up. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. Those who have, we are the, those who have faith and persevere their souls, I'm sorry, preserve their souls because of God's transforming life in us. His life in us sustains us through our trials and his life brings purpose for our pain. I wanna take a moment to pray over those who are hurting. I don't mean in this to make it seem like a trial is trivial or it should be easy. It's the exact opposite of that. I'm sure there are people here today who are hurting, who are facing challenges, whether it's financial, spiritual, relational, emotional, you're going through something. And I want us to pray right now. During the closing song, there'll be some people up here. I'll be up here. Mark and Danielle will be up here. We want to pray with you and stand with you in that trial. You aren't alone. And there is hope because he will sustain you through this trial that you're going through. And when it come out on the other side, there will be purpose in that pain. Let's pray. Father, we stand amazed at your ability to turn a bad situation around. That we can, like Joseph, even though people mean evil against us, even when bad things happen, even when life is hopeless, that you're working everything together for our good because we love you and we're living your calling on our life. And so we just pray today, Father, for those who have strained relationships, for those who are going through financial hardship, for those people who seem like they've, they've lost hope, their hearts in a wilderness. We know what you're capable of, Lord, that you don't, you don't relate to our suffering because, because you know that we're suffering, but because you suffered first. And so we give you the glory today, looking forward to the salvation that you bring, giving us purpose in our pain. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.